As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I have the incredible Heather Alice Shea. She is the founder and CEO of Atmana, and she is one of our incredible case studies that we have here on our series, The New Era of Education. So welcome to the show, Heather. Megan, it is awesome to be here. I am so excited to jump into this topic. And I was just telling you before we got rolling, man, I get fired up about this. So I'm just so excited to chat with you about this. Good, good. I'm so excited too. Um, Heather and I know each other because we, our paths have crossed in the coaching and education space. I think maybe like two years ago. Yeah. And we became fast friends. We do some masterminding together in some mastermind peer groups. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show to be part of this series, Heather, is your programs are not in the, I'm going to show you how to make money category. I'm going to help you build wealth. I'm going to show you how to build a business. Although, Your clients may go on to do those things. That's not what the promise or result of your program is. And we know that there's a lot of conversation that happens in um, the ethers where people think like it's more challenging to do certain things inside of your programs or track client results or track client success when there isn't this tangible, tangible, measurable, specific result. So that's, that's one of the big reasons why I wanted you to come on. Not the only reason, but I really, you know, you're here to really represent the people who are in that category, building coaching and education businesses and, and really doing it from a place of high integrity. So to kick us off, because this is a bit of a case study of, of how you structure and run your programs and how you deliver at such a high level of excellency to your clients. Can you start by giving people a snapshot of what your ecosystem looks like? What are the offers that you have? How are they structured? Just kind of fill us in on what it looks like so our listeners have a good good idea of that as we're chatting through some things. Cool. Yeah. So um, so let, I'll just give kind of the snippet of what Atmana is. So Atmana Academy, basically what I do all day, every day is I train and certify life coaches. So like you said, I don't do biz dev. My promise is not... 10k and you know a month i i actually make it a point in any enrollment call or process to absolutely emphasize that i don't do the business development because that's not where my zone of genius is so what my outcomes are for my client is my my program promise is that you are going to be the most confident and capable and effective life coach that there is in the market today you're going to be in the top 2% you are going to walk out of my program not believing you're a great coach. You are going to be stone cold convinced because you have a stack of, uh, of proof behind you that you've done it. And this ties into Megan, your work on what is your client's journey? What is it like in your program that can yield that? So, um, I know that some clients do in more of, I like to call it like the non-technical slash soft. Like if you have a soft slash non-technical outcome, how do you measure that? 
Um, and how do you really provide a process that allows your client to move through it? And to, and I'd love to circle back to that. I think when you're clear on what your outcomes are, you can then reverse engineer a way to measure. It. And by the way, everything can be measured. Feelings can be measured. You can you can if you know how to create proper assessments. Um, you can absolutely put a number on that. So I do that with my clients and it's as nuanced as it gets. I actually, um, so I'll go into my programs now. So that, that's the first thing. That's what we do. We train coaches and, and our ideal coaches are, our ideal clients are aspiring, uh, life coaches or helping professionals or people who have been coaching from one to five years that want to integrate intuition into their practices. So our two core offers, uh, in Atmana, the first one is our, um, it's called our true intuition. A facilitator program. So what we do is we train and certify coaches to integrate intuition into their practice using our five-step proprietary method called true, true intuition. So research shows that when people, when helping professionals learn a grounded process for applying their own internal intuitive experiences or their own kind of latent inner wisdom into the process, in a proactive way, not just waiting for it to kind of pop in, but really using this incredible gift. I like to call it an inner technology. So when you know how to unlock this inner technology, your client's results are go off the chart. You are walking in the fullness of who you are, and you're really able to give yourself better outcomes, your client better outcomes. And also just your own, from my perspective, I, I really kind of take the spiritual approach to it, your own spiritual path, I think, is more fulfilling and fun. So, and also you get to teach people how to like develop their own intuition, which is amazing. We have an eight module license. They even get like licensed materials in it. They get to actually coach my IP, which is epic. Wow. And then our upsell from there is I call it my fat boy, which is my big certification program. He's my big fat boy. He's my mama jamma. So that's our six-month dual uh, life coach certification. So basically what that is, is we do traditional coaching skills as outlined by the ICF. And then the second half of the program is all of our uh, uh, frameworks on the cultivation and the use of intuition as a professional coach. So again, how do we take this really nuanced, soft inner technology that we all know yields better outcomes for our clients and ourselves? How do we do that in a way that's within ethics and best practices and according to the latest science? So, you know, I love the new age stuff as much as the next person in terms of thinking it's interesting concepts, but there is no way and uh, there's no way that I'm going to just rely on that to teach my clients. I think my clients deserve way better than just something I magically pulled out of the ether. Um, so everything we teach not mana is grounded in science between those ethics and best practices, able to be measured, reliably defined. That way our students know exactly where they are in the process and what success looks like for them. So they're given the path, but then we teach them how you make the path your own, how you, how you personally express that. And I think that's why our clients love Atmana and why they get the success that they're looking for. It's you have the journey, but then the ability to make that journey your own. Yeah. So and then what the ecosystem looks like is, you know, I, I do everything. I do organic legion. I run ads. Um, I'm active on Instagram. I have a 7,000 person Facebook group. So it's really just a mix of, you know, finding people through advertising and then just, you know, word of mouth really is how mm -hmm. I bring to this day, a lot of people in. 
Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So you've got two offers, right? Okay. Uh, what are the price points of each of those? So people have a frame of reference. Third, uh, true intuition, which is our four month, it's strictly intuitive development is 3000 pay in full or 35 on a price on a payment plan. And then the certification program is 10 pay in full or 11. Gosh, what is it? 11 four on a payment plan. Okay. Um, you know, the 12 years that I've been in this industry, ICF has always come up in conversation in the coaching and education space. And I actually got my coaching certification through a program that was certified, accredited, approved. There's different language for that um, by the ICF. I thought that was so important in the very beginning. And when I became a coach, that was something that was very, very important for me. What Talk about the reason behind you decided to go the route of getting your program. Is it approved or accredited by the ICF? So it's not, I'm not accredited by the ICF. It's written in alignment. So the skills, that's how ICF teaches you to talk about it. If you're writing your skills in alignment with the ICF, it just gives people an idea that your program isn't just literally just, you know, pardon the Southern expression, hogwash, right? You're just, it's just something you made up. It's got nothing. You're zero, you know, backing behind. It's not even coaching, right? It's just something you invented. So. Um, I think that the reason why the ICF people like the ICF is it provides some benchmark for there to be a standard around a very nuanced, it's a soft skill. Coaching is, I mean, I guess some people could argue about that. Is it a hard skill? Is it a soft skill? I would argue it's a soft skill. Yeah. Um, that you, and that's hard to, to outline and define. So I think the ICF has done a really good job of outlining what are the basic, and this is super basic. Now I have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. So I'm trained like beyond the IC, like 10 levels ahead of what you're going to get in the ICF. In my world, I think what they teach is so basic, but in the online space, the ICF's bar is insanely high. I mean, it's, it's like people you can just hang out a shingle and call yourself a coach. They don't even know what active listening is. They have no idea what attentive silence is. They they have no idea how to provide feedback or look for discrepancies or allow a session to be client-led. So I like the ICF because I feel like it does raise the standard of the coaching industry. And I think they are, they're doing such a good job at creating outcomes and then measuring what it looks like to be a really good coach. Now, whether or not a person wants to be in that. And I will admit it is a limited model, right? They're definitely like molding you to coach a certain way. So that's, you know, kind of a separate conversation. Like, do we agree that that model is effective? Does it hamstring you to have creativity with your clients, et cetera? And, you know, depending on where you fall on that, you can say yes or no to it. But I think we can all admit and and really appreciate that it does at least provide a high standard and a benchmark for the coaching yeah. industry. Yeah. Uh, when I was the director of client success years ago for a large-scale coaching company, we actually went through the whole ICF process to, and I can't remember the language. I think you can, there's, I think there's two different ones. You can either be accredited or you oh, can yeah. be approved. And one is like full blown. If somebody goes through your program, it's like you're kind of automatic. So one is, so one is you are accredited to be a certification provider. Another one is you are accredited to be a, a continuing education credit. So yes, BCE is the ICF has looked at your program and they're just like, this is coaching adjacent. It's not yeah. coaching skills. It's coaching adjacent. 
So for example, true intuition would be a C and I am actually going to get this C continuing education credit approved, right? So, um, or elective, it's continuing education elective. So that is just, Hey, it has to do with the coaching. You're already certified. You just need to go get continuing education. Go take this program. Yes. Or the other one, you go through that program. And at the end, if you get your certification and check all the boxes, you are eligible to sit for certification with the ICF because you trained with an accredited institution approved by the ICF. Yeah. Yeah. A huge difference. Huge difference between these two things. Yeah. And that has changed. That's changed since I did this back in 2014. Cause that's like nine years ago when we took that program through that whole entire process. Um, and it took us a year and there are a lot of hoops to jump through. It is not, it, it was not an easy process at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something that you said when you were talking about, you know, your ecosystem and how you have your program set up. I want you to dive deeper into this because it's where a lot of folks struggle when, I mean, they struggle with this in their marketing and sales, but the angle I want to look at is how you structure and deliver your program Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. people actually get a result. But you spoke about the promise of your program and the importance of when you know what the promise of your program is, meaning what am I saying that your result is going to be when you join my program? And that result, I don't care what category anybody listening to this is in, whether you're in a category that's more selling something like a soft skill or a hard skill. Sure. Right? So anything money-making, wealth-driven, I'm going to teach you how to build a business. That's a hard skill. Skill. Everything else, I would say, is probably a soft skill. But you still need to be able to articulate when you're making an offer to someone at the level of marketing and sales. This is the promise of the program. This is the result I'm telling you, me and my team, my organization, my program can help deliver on and you will get this at the end. Mm-hmm. Now, where I want to hear you talk more about this, Heather, and this is where folks struggle in the structure and fulfillment of their programs. And you even use the word pathway. You have a pathway that you've created that you walk your clients through so that You can make good on the promise you made in marketing and sales, and you even have ways that they can kind of um, make that process their own and express it in their own way. Just talk about how much more simple it is for you to even decide, how do I structure my program? What goes in it? What What are the different modalities that I'm using inside the program? What do I have to know about my client? You know, what are some of the decisions I'm making on the back end in terms of delivery and fulfillment so that clients are getting the value that they came for, but all that becomes so much easier to do when you do have the promise very, very dialed in. So talk to us about how you do that and how it helps you make decisions inside your program. Yeah. So there's a, there's so much I could say to this. The, the, the first is I think my background as a former psychotherapist has really helped me in the online space hmm. because the way that I came up into the online space was already through what clinicians call a person centered lens. So as a therapist, you're trained to, you're always thinking about the client. They actually call it client conceptualization. I teach this to my coaches. Um, so you're, it, that is just hammered into your head. You're taught to think about, to client conceptualize from the lens of, I'm going to give you another $10 world it, word. It's called the phenomenological lens. 
And so what that means is every minute you're thinking about how is my client experiencing this journey? So this implies a few things. One, as a, as an entrepreneur, not only do I need to down to a Nat's little blue bottom, understand my process and what I teach and what those outcomes, like you said, the milestones and the, and how do we define and measure those outcomes and how those outcomes stack to create the main program promise outcome. Not only do I need to have that process well articulate, um, very articulated, I need to understand how my client is going to experience that process. And I, I think that's the first nugget here is we just tend to think that everybody experiences it the same way and that everybody's going to understand the process the same way. Because of course, you're a very smart person and you created a really great program. So, you know, in your head, it makes sense. But if you don't understand how you're conceptualizing a client and you, and the phenomenological, right? The, the inner, the way your client sees the world, right? Their specific point of view, you aren't going to be able to come up with measurable objectives. You're not even going to know the, the, the questions to ask them to figure out how they're doing in your program. So if you don't even have that, right, then how can you put in the pathway? So I think my background as a therapist just really primed me to understand to be so client-centered, so client-focused that when I went to create the outcomes in my programs, it was this was a non-starter for me. I was not going to launch. And we'll take true intuition. I can even do kind of a case study on that program to talk about how I did it. I go against, and trust me, it has made my business, it's made life harder for me as an entrepreneur to slow down, to create these systems, to really think through these steps, like in this fast pay, you know, go, go, go. The online, you know, the business development coaches tell you just to launch it and get it out there. I disagree. I, I think that you need to actually really think about what you, what your clients are going to go through when they sign up with you. So, um, so I, I, yeah, I, I think to talk about the, the measurable. So give you an example with true intuition. So our program promise for that program is two things. You are going to understand how your own unique intuitive abilities work. And then you are going to have a clear, viable coaching program that you can teach other people. You're allowed to make it your own if you want. Um, you have a, a training manual, a teacher training manual. So one, you get your intuition on speed dial and then you use the method to teach other people how to do the same. So that's the outcome. I am looking at with every day, are my clients' intuitive abilities growing? Do they feel that they understand how their own inner wisdom is speaking to them? Do they know how to apply that in their lives and in their practice in their own unique way? I'm not telling them what that benchmark is. They're telling me what that benchmark is. My benchmark is to make sure they feel like that's happening for them. I'm not trying to shoehorn everybody into you all need to be feeling like this at the end of my program. Does that, that's, do you see that nuance yes. there? Yep. Okay. So how am I going to do it? How do I, that do was going to be my next question. Okay. So I have a, this goes to program development. So my answer for this is your, the easiest way to do this in my world. And I'd love to hear what you say, Megan, because this is your whole zone of genius. But the way I've learned how to, I've structured it in my business is my, my program, the, the program I'm taking the client through is the pathway that they then get to walk to discover that that is then measured. So in true intuition, how am I going to help them 
unlock their intuitive abilities and be just totally confident in their ability to see, hear, and know their inner wisdom at any single moment and teach other people how to do the same. I'm going to walk them through a five-step method. First step, inner awareness. That's the first step of my method. It's my first milestone to measure. Second step, uh, notice. Second milestone to measure, second skill to develop. Third is trust. Fourth is interpret. Fifth is communicate. And they have a sixth if they when they get the certification, and that's teach. So right here, that's the roadmap. It's also my method, my proprietary method. You see how this works from a marketing perspective? So then it's like, okay, here's my five-step method. Here are my benchmarks. My clients know exactly what they're going to experience. I need to cultivate inner awareness. Here's what this looks like. Here's exactly what you're going to do to develop inner awareness. Here's your developmentals. Here are the live calls on that. Same with notice, same with trust, same with interpret. So they see that pathway. And then I instruct them on here are the developmentals. And here's how I want you to play with those. This is what it's going to look like when you have really great inner awareness. So in the method, I have the definition of what inner awareness is. And then we have a developmental goal and a developmental challenge. So they know, here's what it is. This is the challenge I'm working on. This is what it's going to look like or what I will be able to think, say, and do once I accomplish proper inner awareness such that I'm ready to move on to notice. Okay. So that, and so it goes for each step in the method. So that is, that's in a PDF they get the minute that they, I mean, it's just right there in front of them. Yeah. So how, now let's talk about how I facilitate the program. So the minute that they enroll, they go through a new coach orient, uh, a new, a student orientation. It takes maybe 20 minutes. The no video is over three minutes because I know everybody's got the attention of a squirrel. So, you know, just go through this, check this off. If they want an onboarding call, they get one. They can connect with my assistant. They know there's a real human being there that will help them answer any questions they have about the membership site. Um, so all of that is, I want that done in the first 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Can you log in? Did you finish coach orientation? Do you, do you have any questions? Do you understand? Did you get the method? You see the method overview so that they've already in their head within 72 hours. They understand the, the true intuition development map. Okay. How do yes. you find out? How do you find out if clients have actually checked those boxes in 72 hours? We can, I can see my membership site on the back end if they've even done any okay. of it. Okay. So got it. So I can look at the analytics and also they're really good about responding. Like they'll, they'll message us back. We'll message them on Facebook. I'll email them. Abby will reach out to them. We're really good about, or I'll do a post in our Facebook group at everyone. This is the milestone and they all respond for the most part. And another I- question is because I, people may be thinking this in their minds. Um, and sorry to get you off track here because you're on a roll there. Are people joining this program as a cohort and they're all starting together, ending together in the three months? Or could people buy this program any day of the week, any day of the month, 365 days out of the year? I've run it twice as a cohort. I'm now opening up to people can come in anytime, any day of the year. And I have a system for that as well, which is all of our live classes are based on didactic or are not based on didactic. It's based on experiential that's supported by didactic, which allows you to go to an evergreen model while still having content that is or a, um, a developmental model, like do this first, then this. So, um, and, and, you know, it's just, you got to be a really good teacher to know how to do that. Thankfully, you know, that's, this is all I've ever done is coach and teach and (laughs) 
you know, work with people. So I, I think that is a skill you've got to learn. And I think a lot of people just automatically assume, well, I'm really good at marketing. So I'm going to go coach people on how to market. Yeah, but you're not a great teacher. You sure right. as hell don't know how to coach. Like these are real skills that people think that like being a mass, being a master at what you do does not make you a good teacher. Teaching is its own skill. Yes. Being a great coach is its own skill. Like that is, so that is why I think a lot of people really struggle with their business and having clients meet objectives and feel really successful because they, they don't know what they don't know. I mean, I don't blame them. If you don't have a background in it, how would you know? Exactly. Um, for me and my, in my, um, a grant when I was getting my master's degree, I had to take a whole semester on how to write psychometric tests. So I know how to write an assessment where I am getting valid and reliable data on the growth of my client. In true intuition, they have to take two assessments, actually now three. One, I want to see how you're doing with your boundaries, your energetic boundaries, because that's big on intuitive development. Two, I want to know where your baseline is at on a scale of one to 10 for all seven of your gateways. Where are you at? Oh, two, three. That way I can, then they have to take that same assessment again when they leave. I am seeing like the, the, so we just actually averaged out the numbers. The average number was a four. They're leaving at an 8.8. Wow. At what point do you, um, again, so this program is three months, three months long, four months long. At what point? So for the listeners, at what point are you giving these, um, feedback forms to your clients? The, the first, the, they take the, so they have, Their first assessment is on just their overall experience of their own intuition at this point. So the assessment is basically, tell me how you feel about your intuitive abilities right now. Tell tell me what is that like for you? How do do you, what is your idea of what that is? Okay. On a scale of one to 10, tell me how you feel about this. On a scale of one to 10, tell me how you feel about this. And then the last four questions are, um, what would you need to think, feel, do, or believe differently from your perspective today? What is it that you feel that you would need to get to a 10? So then I ask them, oh, you, you, you asked clairvoyance, which is just inner sight. It's the ability to envision in your mind, right? If I say to you, see an apple, can you actually envision an apple? People don't know it, but that's, that's clairvoyance. It doesn't have to be this, you know, really advanced kind of esoteric thing. So you're at a four. Okay, great. Why are you a four? Why are you not a five? Tell, why aren't you an eight? Why aren't you a 10? I want to know from your perspective, why you're not a 10. Okay. Well, it's this, this, and this. Okay. What would we need to change to get you at a 10? This, this, and this. Mm -hmm. So there on the day one, not only is this useful information to me, but on day one, they are clear about what they need to do. I'm not coaching them on that. They're coaching themselves. Yeah. So I look at their data and I'm like, oh, cool. Stephanie. Okay, cool. So Stephanie. So then what I do when I look at, cause then you could ask, Oh my gosh, Heather, if I have a hundred clients, how am I going to track all that? And here's what I will say to that. You're not tracking a hundred people. You're tracking buckets of people. Because if you understand your clients really, really well, you're going to know that generally speaking, there are clients who experience intuition in this way. Generally speaking, like, so for my clients, some is this going to be a hard skill. They just need to develop their, their clear gateways. Others, it's going to be a self develop, uh, a self belief issue. 
So when I see Stephanie's data, I'm like, oh, Stephanie falls in this bucket. Okay. This gateway is going to be what I need to work on with her the most. And I really need to make sure she comes to the live calls because she just said she's not a great self-paced learner. So it just, it just gives me a way to think about each student and they are telling me what they need. And now they are clear on what they need so that when they show up, they are equipped with what their new, their, um, their goal is. And then they take that same assessment again at the end of their program, like two weeks before they exit. Yeah. You're really helping them take ownership of their own learning. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. That's one thing. I have so many questions, but um, I do want to share another example of what you're talking about here. Um, How do you determine what the outcomes are? I worked with Michael Burnoff for a couple of years, and it's like a somewhat similar category, but not like you work with him because he's teaching you how to communicate better with yourself and other people have more influence, blah, blah, blah. And the majority of his programs, it's all in person. So you're flying out to Arizona, you're working Mm -hmm. with him in a a decent sized group of people, three days or four days or five days in a row. And I've been to all of his in-person events through all of his programs. And at the very beginning of his program, day one in the first hour block that we're together, doesn't matter what I'm there for. He structures it in the exact same way. He doesn't even tell you, or maybe he does. I don't remember. I don't remember if he even tells us what his outcome is for that four days together, but he has one. So he pre-decides what his outcome is for the event. But then we have, a, you know, an exercise a couple of pages long inside of our notebooks. And he's asking us, well, what is your outcome for this event? What does it look like for you to reach this outcome at this event? How will you know that you have reached the outcome at this event? And I remember one of mine, maybe two events in a row, mine was, um, and he teaches you to keep it very, very simple, like, you know, kindergarten level, not even sentences. And I think mine was speak up more. That Mm. was my desired outcome for the four days. Speak up more. Well, he doesn't need to tell me how to speak up more. Now, a lot of students will come in and expect you're going to tell me how to speak up more. You're going to tell me what I need to speak up more. And I remember speak up more meant for me, and I chose it. Raise your hand when he asks a question to the audience. Raise your hand. Whether he calls on me or not doesn't matter, but it was the act of like me raising my hand. Sit at the front of the room. When I'm in a small group exercise with five or six or seven other people, be the first one who speaks up and shares my thoughts, ideas, opinion. Because my tendency was to just like let everybody else talk and like, I won't talk at all. And I was really working on sharing my voice and getting very comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the event, I've already said, these are the five or six things that I'm going to do because this is equivalent to me saying, I'm here to learn how to speak up, right? And then you get the outcome. So it's on me, it's not on him. Now he does figure out which e- what each one of ours is. You know, we kind of just go around the room and say it and he's like putting it on the board. And to your point, Heather, with buckets, everybody's kind of saying the same five things. That's right. That's I mean, he's right. only writing that's like right. five things on the board. It's not. So that's your program. Things. So that's yes. your program. Those five things that you're seeing the bucket. But I love this because here's the thing. And this is where coaching skills come in. You do not, a true coach does not need to answer another person's question. You are not here to answer people's questions. You are here to pull forth the answer already within that person. So that's where the skill of that coaching comes in. But I I love that. So I guarantee you, 
he had his objective for his his event. And in him, because he is aligned, because he is a pro at what he does, all he has to do is show up and deliver that. He knows it's going to hit those five buckets. Mm-hmm. You as an individual are super clear on what that looks like for you, which only you can know those answers. And so now you and him are vibing. You're yeah. vibing. He's yeah. going to get up and do what he's going to do. He's going to do You're there at that event because he was a, explained to you what it was going to be like. So you know what to expect. He knows what to deliver and you know what you want and you know who's responsible for getting it. And also, you know what you need to do to be successful at the end of that four days. Exactly. He's just there to go, Hey, this is the container for your, for you to flourish. Yes. And so, you know, that it's actually once you set it up, not that hard to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't think people think that it's possible because it, it it is more work initially. I I mean, I'm not, I do want to like be clear about that. It's much easier to just schlep some crap into yeah. the back end of a membership site and tell people to, you know, show up to your live up call. to calls. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, you know, but the good news about having measurable outcomes is once you set this up and once you set your program and your business up this way, it's, that just becomes your way of being. Yeah. So I'll give you an example of how the power of this, because of, because maybe people are thinking to themselves, this all sounds lovely. But how the hell does this make me more money? <laughs> exactly. It's like the the pushback people always give me in my line of work is, but I can't scale this way. Yes, you can. Yeah. You can scale Speak that way, way better. Speak because to that. The, the, cl- the, the clarity on it is what makes you scale. Because, and it takes years to be able. I mean, and the other thing too is you're never done with it, right? The market shifts. Your offer has to be tweaked. Um, I'll give you an example though. So... One of the things I consistently hear from my clients, whether it's the people in my program or the people that are I'm chatting with on enrollment calls, here's what they say to me. Well, they the number one need they tell me, they tell me they have two needs. One is confidence. They say to me, Heather, I know I was born to do this work. They have this, it's almost like this itch inside their mind. They feel compelled. It's like it's it's at the point where they're bothered by the fact that they're not, they know they're not walking in their purpose. So that's the first thing. I feel compelled to help other people. I know I don't have the skill. I need help. So they need to get that, uh, find a viable path forward. And the second thing they want is confidence and community. They want to have a community at their back and confidence in their ability to help others. Those are the two things that they want. What I hear them say, because I always ask them, how'd you find me and why'd you pick me? When they enroll, I want to know, how'd you find me and why'd you pick me? And the number one thing I hear when I ask, why did you choose Atmana? That I had an enrollment on Friday. She closed in 24 hours. She found me and within 24 hours, she was giving me 10 grand. And the number one thing she said to me was, Heather, this is personal for you and I can feel it. Mm. This is personal for you and I can feel it. And that's the first time I'd ever talked to her. And she found me 24. It was just in going through my free videos um, and how she found me was she did a Google search for a coach in her area and she found a web, the website of one of my coaches I've trained who had my website linked and was saying, I'm a proud Atmana Academy, you know, Atmana coach. She clicked it, found my website, went through all my stuff and she enrolled. Wow. Like I spent zero money. That was just on one of my graduates who graduated three years ago, by the way, still raving about Atmana and her experience here. Mm-hmm. So that is how you make money on it. Mm-hmm. Another thing too, I will say is if you put and I again, I think this is my psychotherapist background. When you put your heart 
into your work, you are always the people remember. Yes. You're always the people they will remember. They will come back to you a year or two. If they go, they will come back. You will all, that is how it makes you money. It's in what you're not having to do to get the client. Mm -hmm. So I know it's like, what do we have to do to get Legion? What do we have to do to close? What do we have to do to hit our numbers? Well, what if the question was, what do you not have to do? (laughs) What if you didn't have to do 50 sales calls a month? What if you didn't have to constantly, you know, reinvent the the wheel? What if it was just so much of this flowing back to you from what you gave other people out of abundance Mm-hmm. of just wanting to give and serve. That's how it makes you money. It's in what you're not having to do. Yeah. That's my opinion. It's that's how I experience it. It's I'm giving people a community confidence in themselves and they never forget it. Now yeah. I had a text today from a client who said, um, Heather, my, I cannot believe how different my life is. You, this, you have changed my life. Mana has changed my life. I cannot thank you enough. Yeah. And I would say that one of the reasons why that's happening is because you are getting to know your clients individually. Mm-hmm. You're getting to know each one of them individually. Uh, you know, you were talking about at the very beginning, finding out more about them. You know, how do they learn? What are they struggling with? What does success look like to them? And sho- like, shockingly, most leaders are not asking those questions of their clients when they first join the program. And they're very much treating every single client like every single client is the same as the next client. And they're mm-hmm. all going to go through this process in the exact same way. And everybody learns in the same way I learn. I want to go back to, I, I want to hear you dive into this a little bit more. You started to, and then I think I interjected. You said that you were able to put your clients essentially in buckets. Mm. Once you have them in the buckets, how does that... um How does that, you know, uh, how do you adjust the way that you are running the program based on who's in it and what buckets they're in? And the reason why I'm asking this question, my background is I was a high school teacher. I taught the same two or three classes for five years. Mm -hmm. I had three different classes a semester. So I'm teaching six different groups of kids every year. And then I get like another whole new group. I did. I never had two groups of kids that were the same. Mm-hmm. But I'm teaching the same subject matter. But because I never had two groups of students that were the same, I couldn't actually teach in the same way. Yeah. I couldn't teach. I couldn't run my classroom the exact same way. I mean, I would have a group of kids where they were all kind of like super quiet and super introverted and like wouldn't talk. But then I'd have another class where like everybody's labeled ADHD and they're spinning mm-hmm. around in my spin chairs and they're rolling across the floor. I had a computer lab with like rolly chairs. I mean, just like bananas. I would have like a really mature group or really immature group. I'd have a group that really understood it. I had a group that didn't. Every single one, it was very different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for people who maybe aren't doing this yet in their coaching or education business, you're putting people in buckets based on what they're telling you in in forms, surveys, feedback forms. Then what do you do with that? The overarching answer to this, there's two ways I could address it. And I think you know, the two pronged approach is what really actually does the, the full job. But I think the overarching just at the, the um, most tactical level, if you do not know how to run a group, 
which again is a graduate. I know you think because you can open up as I hate to be like forceful with this, but it's just my soapbox and I'm going to hit it. Like, I know you think you know how to run a group because you got a zoom and it'll let you have more than one person on it. You don't. It like, you don't, you don't know how, if that is a challenge for you, then you don't like the, the person needs to learn how to run a group because when you learn how to run a group, you know how to deal with the kid with the swivel chair. You know how to deal with the kid that's got ADHD. You know how to deal with the student. So like in my case. And adults are no different. And, oh, oh my God. They're worse. Like adults are. I mean, I, I could be spinning around in my chair right now. <laughs> at, least, at least kids like will listen to you. Adults yeah. are like, you're not my mom. You know, so it's, they don't, they don't even think they have to listen to you. Right. Yep. So I, the, that, the, the first thing is you have to develop. You have to know how to herd cats and the cats are your clients. And so like, for instance, do you know how to link? Well, if you don't know what linking is, you don't know how to run a group and you're never, ever in the history of forever, forever until the end of time going to be able to help your clients get the outcomes they need in your group coaching calls if you don't know how to link. Do you know how to cut a client? What do you do with that one client who's always the squeaky wheel? Do you understand how bad that one client is killing your program? And because you don't know how to get that client to stop hogging all the space, uh, for those of you listening to this, say the name of the client in your head because you because I know you're thinking of someone right now, maybe even several of that one client who's super needy, who always hogs the mic, who goes off on their personal story. Do you understand that that is absolutely destroying? Let's say there's 19 other people in the room. That Do you understand that just killed 19 other people's experience because you don't oh, know how to cut off? Let me speak to this. So when we go in and we audit mid to large scale coaching companies, one of the things that we look at, if they have collected it, is we look at all the feedback forms from the students in the program. Mm -hmm. And like I said, like not everybody's even collecting feedback, right? Like you should be collecting feedback. So we look at it. And we're currently doing an audit right now of a company that's got thousands of students in their program. And one of the most common comments being made, like I'd say like top two, is that you're letting certain students oh. in the program hog the mic and talk the entire time on the calls. So I'm not getting my questions asked. I, you're not addressing me. And they're even saying the people running the calls need to learn how to better facilitate oh. the call. Because yeah. you're serving in an hour long call, they're getting to like three people and your audience doesn't like that. And it's, it's tampering with their experience. So, yeah, you know, and your what calls, you're saying, Heather, like, call suck. your call is true. I mean, yes. I know that sounds harsh, but we're all adults here and it's the, like the truth hurts, but then it sets you free. Like, well, your call suck. That's yeah. why clients, they're bored. I know I don't appreciate it when they're there to receive, to be poured into. So how do we create that container? We learn how to cut the client off and link. That's how you do yes. it. So you can say something like, Hey, Margaret, thank you. So you would literally cut them off. Hey, Margaret, thank you so much for that share. I know, you know, that was a lot of information. I really appreciate it. I saw Stacy nodding her head when you said the part about needing to get payments in closed within a 30 day. Stacy, would you like to share? And then you link it to another person based off of something you, if you don't know how to watch a Zoom room, you'll never be able to link or cut off. That's how you do it. Yeah. Done. And then guess what will happen? Margaret will realize, don't play with me, Margaret. Don't play with me. Don't come in my Zoom room thinking you're going to run this damn call. Yep. I'm having it. I will call you out. 
I will ask you to stop talking. If you don't, yep. if you keep going, I will tell you to stop. I will say, take a break, Margaret. Yep. <laughs> like, because this is my call. This is my space. I'm here to protect the sanctity of this container. Yeah. So, you know, those are, I would so that the high level answer is please just learn, understand how to facilitate a great group program. And these are actual skills. Again, I learned them in my graduate school program. These are actual skills you need to know. You need to understand how people present in rooms. You're going to have talkers. You're going to have people that are kind of in the middle and you're going to have the quiet, shy people. How do you engage quiet, shy people? How do you get your really, you know, your talkers helping you move energy around the room? Actually, I think you should ask those people who have great boundaries, who don't talk to help you almost co-facilitate. Like those are the people who can help you run a great program. So, you know, there's many, many things. There's many things to that in terms of one, you've just got to learn how to run a really, really good group, I would say, is the answer to that. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember what the second point I was going to make on it. Um, we were talking about buckets and how you decide what do you oh. do with that information once you have it? In terms yeah. of how it, it you know, how do you adapt to that when you're running a program, running program? Thank you for that. So that piece right there, what you just said, is where our own attitude towards growth comes in. And I get actually super excited about this because I feel like what a gift to us. If you have a student who comes into your program and you are sitting back scratching your head, guess what? What a beautiful opportunity. Now you get to learn. Okay, I have a skills deficit. What am I going to do with Sally? She's very different. So like an example of this would be um, somatic intuition. So this is where we experience uh, intuitive hits in our body. You've heard people say, I just go with my gut. And they'll like, oh, I felt it in my stomach. That's actually somatic intuition. We feel the truth, our, our um, inner truth within our body. For me, that was the last intuitive ability that came online for me. I didn't really have a lot of experience with it. And I had a lady enroll in my program who literally that was the only intuitive modality that came up for her. And so I was like, I have no clue how to teach this girl. Cause I don't, I just didn't, I knew, I knew like from a research perspective what it was about, but I had none of my own experience with it. Mm-hmm. So here's how I handled it. I said, you know, Sally, I think it's amazing that you're a somatic intuitive. And I'm going to be honest, that's my least developed skill. So one, I want to let you know that I think this is so cool. You're like a superhero to me. The second thing is I am going to go at, you know, I do have, cause I did have obviously data on it. I mean, it's not like I, I wasn't teaching it, but I was just upfront and honest with her. And I started asking her what her experience was like. Now this is where knowing how to coach comes in as a practicing, a former psychotherapist and a properly trained coach. I have worked with people who haven't even told me what their problem is. I don't need to know what your experience is or what your issue is or what your problem is to be able to facilitate a great session because the skills are the skills are the skills. Active listening is active listening. Reflecting feelings is, I can ask you really good questions to discover what it is you're saying to me and help you pull the answer within you out. That's what I'm a pro at. I don't need to have your answer. I don't need to understand what somatic intuition is. Because why? Because I know how to coach all day long. You give me, I always say this, you give me 15 minutes, I'll change your life. If you're really actually interested in changing 15 minutes, boom, your life will change. Yeah. So I think if you, if you're like, what do I do with the kids that are turning in the chairs? Or if you've got a client that feels outside of your wheelhouse, you go learn how to be a better coach. And, and then the next client that you feel a little shaky on, 
go learn about, ask that client to talk to you about their experience. Give them some private sessions, spend mm-hmm. some time with them. They are a goal mine for you. You're yeah. so blessed. So instead of it being like, Oh God, I don't know what to do with these clients. I do. I know what to do exactly with them. Go book three privates with them and learn. Yeah. yeah or being like, embarrassed. I think a lot of folks feel like, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm not good at what I do. I don't know. They made a bad investment and it's all right. about me. Ego. It's yes. not it's all about them. And when it's about, again, back to the phenomenological view, when it has nothing to do with you and when it has everything to do with them, you create this container of, I am here just like you as a person. Now, I am a subject matter expert at intuition and life coaching. And I can train anybody who's willing to learn. And I, I am, I don't take myself seriously, but I am stone cold deadly at those two things. I do it better than anybody I know. Not saying I'm the greatest, but I do it better than anybody I've ever met. And I will stand by that. But I'm not the expert at being Megan. I'm not the expert at being Jessica or Sally. You're right. the expert at being you. So I don't need to have your answers. I need to have the skill set that helps you find your own. And that's yes. what intuition is. So why would I be afraid to say, I actually don't know what that's like? In my certification program, when we do coaching, when we do, um, I call them fishbowls. So two people will coach and the class will watch. Mm-hmm. My clients, Megan, they coach me. And I talk to them about my real stuff in my life. When my daughter went to college, I will never forget. I broke down in the middle of a training class let, with one of my coaches coaching me. That's and amazing. My students were like, Oh my God, Heather, that like they, there wasn't a dry eye. And I said, I'm, that's why, like back to that girl who the uh, lady who just enrolled, she's like, this is personal for you. And I'm like, they feel it. She's, she wasn't in that class, but they feel it. So I have supreme confidence in what I'm supposed to be a pro at. And I, and I also know that it's such a gift to be able to learn. Mm-hmm. So why would I be embarrassed? I'm asking my clients to come to me vulnerably. How dare I not willing to do the same? Exactly. I think that is hugely valuable. There is so much of a value add in, in that showing up in that way to the clients and what you're promising them in the program. And they look. They know you don't know everything. So cut, so like cut the crap. Yeah. If you have to front to convince people, if you have to always have your armor on to convince people that you're a pro, you're not a pro. Right. Or maybe you are a pro. You're just insecure about it. Like, why don't you give yourself a chance to see your own brilliance? Give your, and give yourself the gift of learning. And you will, and there will always, if you're working with people, here's what I learned as a therapist. You are always going to be surprised by people. If you are working with people, there's no such thing as like having it all figured out. Next week, I'm going to have somebody come into one of my programs and I'm going to be scratching my head going, I don't know how to help this person. Right. That I don't know how to, I've never worked with a person with your background. You know, we get into, um, you know, with the client conceptualization, there's like eight things that you look at as you're trying to discover what how do, what, how am I thinking about this client? And what do I need to be thinking about to be thinking properly about my client? There's a lot that, that goes into that. So, you know, if you're really doing that, you're not supposed to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I think that your clients love you for showing that vulnerability. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody I wants agree. to. I remember once, uh, to, just to sum it up with this, remember Princess Diana? Yeah, I was obsessed. So obsessed. Like everyone. I remember still- where I was when I found out she died. I do too. Oh my gosh. Where were you? I was at my best friend Brittany's house, sleeping on the floor because I always slept on the floor. We would like build a little like mattress and pallet. And Brittany always slept with the TV on, which I despised because I never slept with the TV on. And I was in seventh or eighth grade. And when I woke up in the morning, she would always sleep until like 11 or 12. I woke up at like nine or something and it was on the TV and I just started bawling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in college my freshman year. I was sleeping with my my friend and I, Kelly, were like, you know, waking up from a rough night and somebody came in and was like, Princess Diana was dead. So we remember that, right? Yeah. And I heard they called her the people's princess. And mm-hmm. when she passed, I can't remember who said this. They were, you know, offering their tribute to her. And he said... Uh, so I don't know if you guys know, I'm a kind of a nerd for English history, but Queen Elizabeth, they called her the Virgin Queen. She was powdered in white and wore gloves. You know, she kind of became this almost this like living embodiment of, you know, sort of the Virgin Mary became very untouchable to the people, a glorious queen, but very untouchable. Mm-hmm. And so he was saying, you know, you know, the queen, the royalty is so untouchable, right? The, the, almost like this, the Queen Elizabeth, this white gloved and powdered, untouchable porcelain, granite slab, almost inhuman. And yet yeah. who everyone loved was an adulterous bulimic with her head shoved down a toilet, throwing yes. up. That's who people love. This imperfect, flawed, vulnerable, but full of beauty and heart and love. She would, she remember that scene where she t- uh, shook the hand of the AIDS patient. In the 80s, yes. everybody thought, yes. remember that. She yeah, I was, do. Oh, that woman was so unafraid to be vulnerable. She, oh, it was just absolutely gorgeous. So it's it's the frailness. It's your vulnerability. It's your willingness to be humble. It's your willingness to try during things that make people fall in love with you. It's not the the, the freshly powdered porcelain queen. It's the bulimic Princess Diana that people want to be around. So go yeah. be her. Just stop fronting. Just be who you are. <laughs> Let's go be who you are. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Okay. This has been so amazing, Heather. Um, if people are listening to this, no matter where they're at in their journey of their education or coaching business, whether they're in the beginning stages or they're making eight figures and they're like, holy cow, like I need to tighten up some things that I'm doing. There's a lot of things that we could do to improve our coaching and education businesses and how we're delivering and fulfilling them from a client experience perspective. Out of everything that we shared today or that you shared today, where could people start? Like, where's a really good, simple place for people to begin and start um, just improving uh, what they're doing in terms of client experience and fulfillment? Hire you. <laughs> I Thank you. I didn't tell you to you. say that. <laughs> um, I think they should just hire you. But but to, I, I think the first thing you've got to do, there's so many places you could start, right? But you, I'll tell you the place that I feel that no matter where you start, you'll always circle back to. And that's learning to see the world and the work you're offering our clients through their eyes. That's exactly what I would have said. Yeah. And then from there, you're going to knock it out of the park. Yeah. It's having a deeper understanding that everybody coming through your program is an individual. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, you know, I liken it to uh, uh, individual education plans that we had when I was a high school teacher. And not everybody was on one. It was only the kids who had a quote unquote learning disability who had an IEP, but we were basically coming up with accommodations that would allow them to be successful 
based on, you know, whether they had a behavior issue or they couldn't, or they had dyslexia or, or whatever it was. Um, I really believe that every single one of our client, whatever you call them, clients or students or community members, everybody should actually have their own IEP. Mm-hmm. Like whatever mm-hmm. that looks like behind the scenes for you, we've got to really understand who our people are and then make adjustments accordingly. Yeah. Even if it's just as simple as I want to raise my hand, I want to sit in the front of the class. That's an IEP. Like you had said with that's your, so it, you know, it doesn't have to be this big arduous. I have to add all of these things on again. It's from the lens of their self leading. Yeah. You're just giving them the prompts and the clarity and the resources they need to be able to do that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for being open and honest about your journey and your process. Oh man, it's been great. I thank you. It's been hard fought and won. And, um, you know, I, I tend to get fired up about this. So if I was a little forceful in some of my stuff saying, you don't know how to run a group, please forgive me. I love you. I know you're all brilliant, but, but I just, I see how so many entrepreneurs, your business could probably be double if we start centering, taking that person centered approach and it is monetizable. It is. And also money isn't the only thing that matters. Like how much of this crap do you actually need? Yeah. You know, I know we want to go to, you know, 10, 50, yeah. blah, keep going, but maybe that same level of happiness and fulfillment you're looking for can come to you through this connection with your clients. That's, that's been very, very important to me. I think when you're, you know, when I'm 80 years old, I'm going to lay on my deathbed and I'm not going to be pissed that I sold my business for 45 million instead of 50, right? Like, or whatever it, you know, it's, exactly. it's, Certainly, that's not going to be what we're worried about. So I think yeah. taking that perspective helps too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Heather. If anyone's interested in Heather's programs, I mean, just listening to how amazing her process is, I'm like, oh, I want to like join her program now. <laughs> uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes so you can go connect with Heather on social media. Um, you can go check out her website. You can check out her programs. Um, of course, you know that it's legit behind the scenes. And now you have a really good picture of how she runs the show back there. So thank you so much for being with us today, Heather. Megan. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.